Good morning, you beautiful bastards. Hello, gamers. What's going on, everybody? Tell your son this. Nobody talks about this. And every catchphrase known to existence. Welcome to Red Morning, another beautiful Saturday morning. Taking it for everybody who's listening to this thing live. How's it going? I'm so glad you didn't go out Friday night, drink your face off, not get any, and then wake up early in the morning to get a workout in and start handling your business. <laughs> Who we got in the chat? We got Copter049 saying Twitch, Twitch. Paul Wilson with a yes. Excellent. Excellent. A little bit hyper today. The girl's been gone, taking a lot of flights this week. So I have tons of spare time to actually get caught up on sleep. So I'm going to take it all out on you guys. As you can tell, beautiful episode of Red Morning. We're still on day 96 of where the hell is Carl gone? So far, he's doing well, is doing better. Looks like the Spurgs of the Manosphere have finally decided to take their toll on the man. And he's gone back to making his fortune. Hmm. Good morning, Ruben. Good morning, Scott. All right, everybody. Uh, for those who don't know, in Canada, a quick little funny story I found. It's like, you know, in video games, if you ever played those ones that do seasons, and then the first day of winter, there's like a foot of snow on the ground, whatever it is. Good morning, Chris Z with the $2 super chat. Chris Z, God among men. Don't know if you guys knew that, but now you do. <laughs> but yeah, so we, Remembrance Day, we had a nice windfall of snow coming down here it's slightly starting to melt so winter first try it's going pretty well topic at hand i was thinking about what do i want to talk about because we always lead in with rule zero which by the way is on this channel 11 30 so make sure to set your set your watches set your notifications we're gonna have troy john back from his twitter jail and Rolo Rich is going to be off until the 23rd. He unfortunately has better things to do than talk to a bunch of nerds on the internet, and I don't blame him. <laughs> I was thinking topics then that work here, and as much as I love deep diving into those topics, Rolo and I did that last time when I was on his show, and I want to do it again. But there's one thing that keeps coming up, and it's always background noise to things. If you look at the sexual marketplace as it is right now, you see a lot of people talking about what it was like in the 80s, what it was like in the 70s, what it was like in the 60s, and how it was so much worse than now. And if only we could go back to a simpler time where men are men, women are women, and thoughts keep it between their knees like their mother told them to. <laughs> um so obviously, I mean, anybody who's followed Red Pill for any length of time, you'll see a lot of the stuff brought up by the other spheres of the manosphere. You see the MRAs talking about how unfair courts are towards men and boys and how schools are raising guys basically surrounded by women raised as defective or boys are raised as defective women. You get all that nonsense. So far, nobody seems to argue that any of this stuff is happening. The argument seems to be on whether it's a good thing or whether it's a bad thing to which Red Pill says it's a thing and it's not going away so we can argue about what should happen, but let's focus on what the way out of it is. So generally, we've got a pretty straightforward roadmap. If you break down Red Pill into the core actionable advice, it's to enjoy the decline. Kind of a flippant saying, saying what you think of the world is on decline and what the world is, is on the upswing. So if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. And this goes to all those guys who talk about what life should be like, what the roles of men and women should be. Deal with what is, not with what you want it to be. Or what was that one? Rumsfeld, 
when people were talking about, hey, could you put some armor plating on our Humvees because these IEDs are absolutely killing your soldiers? And he goes, yeah, we can't go to war with the army we want. It's the army we have. So we're kind of in the sexual version of the Iraq war here, 2003. We just passed mission accomplished when Obama got in. Good for him and Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, and Paul's got a good point too when he says he got married in the 80s, it was no paradise. That's part of it too. Um, the way we think things used to be is always glossed over by the nice polish that comes with nostalgia. Everybody always thinks things were better in the past because you don't remember bad things in the past. You only remember the good parts and all the hazy parts kind of go away. But anybody with a set of eyes on them can see exactly what's happening right now. And so the question is, what do you do about it? And I mean, I could yell until I'm blue at the face at a bunch of guys telling them to go lift weights, build up the testosterone levels in your body. Because right now, the way the environment is set up for a lot of estrogen effects, I mean, birth control can't be filled. And this is going to be my Alex Jones rant. So you're going to have to bear with me here. <laughs> Apparently, that's my catchphrase. Bear with me. <laughs> Hey, Red Crusader, it's good to see you this morning. But so birth control in the groundwater can't be filtered out by our water filtration systems. I'm not saying that's what's turning the frogs gay, but kind of is not the point, though, to this conversation. Um, teachers are basically all women now. Part of it is the lack of respect and status that's afforded to teachers means that guys who want to succeed in the sexual marketplace tend not to become teachers. There's always that accusation that anytime a grown man is near an adolescent, that it must be because he wants to Epstein the thing. Tons of different reasons, but it all leads to the same conclusion that there is no more guys in the role of masculine influence on boys for longer and longer throughout their developmental periods. Most divorces, and it's a pretty safe number that's been thrown around that about half of marriages end in divorce. A good chunk of them are when the guys are five to seven which is like prime developmental years, which leads to the question and the topic of this episode is, can this stuff be learned or is it is it innate? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it even like, is there some credence to that whole DNA rules everything argument? Is it possible to train a guy or to teach a guy to have more alpha behaviors in his life? Or is he just basically stuck being a plow horse, a worker bee, and that's the best he's gonna do and the strategies we should be using are ones that go along with his genetic predisposition to be uh, a servant, essentially, or the way Nietzsche would call it, the master and slave morality. <laughs> um, taking a look through the chat here. Also, I know I'm a little bit behind getting the Spotify stuff up to date, so I'm going to fix that one today. I've got to set up. I wish there was some automated process we could use where YouTube could automatically stream the audio to anchor.fm through some service. And then from there, it automatically spreads to the rest of the broadcasts. If anybody has any solutions to that, I'm more than happy to listen and hear it. A free Roger Stone. See, here's the thing. I'm Canadian. Roger Stone. I don't get it. I saw that one Netflix documentary on him. I get it. He's essentially the Ryan holiday for boomers and good for him. But I try to keep this as international a series as possible so it can apply to the most amount of people and to know if it's the same thing that affects America, as affects Canada, as affects Mexico, as affects Europe, then we can pretty much take it for granted that these are universal issues surrounding men, our solutions, and our strategies. So 
try not to get too involved in American politics. Plus, we got a lot of our crap on our own. I kind of went on a bit of a rant last week. The Don Cherry thing kind of irked me, even though I kind of know how this game works. But whatever, getting back to the topic. Is this stuff innate? Put in the chat, what do you guys think? Could you take a could you take a chump and turn him into a hero? Can you make a guy understand that his own self-interests are more important than the self-interest of the group? Can you get a guy to understand and act in his best interest knowing that the main dangers in life are largely automated now? There's no more bears roaming the streets. There's no more criminals roaming the streets. Cops generally handle it. It's gotten to the point that we have to go all the way down to New Zealand to find a crime to report on because there's so little of it happening on our doorstep. Theodore had a point here. The Alex Jones water... Does he actually make water filters? That's hilarious. Oh, Alex. And I've been struggling with this one myself. It's funny because there's two types of guys I usually saw when we were running our maps, our mail action plans starting up some field reports, guys who came from a situation, and there was a fairly small subset of relationship situations guys would come from. The first one they used to say, I used to be alpha, slowly became beta, which is like, it's almost a meme right now. And then the second one was, I was never that guy, but like, this is just brutal. I can't handle it. And she done, and the girl had basically done something that's the ultimate disrespect and finally realized that the guy's self-dignity might be worth, I don't know, reading a couple books and doing a couple bench press reps. Uh, but then it's, you see a clear demarcation line between the two. The guys who used to be that super sexy guy on the football team or the guy who did pickup or all these guys, they tend to very easily get back into the swing of things. And then once they realize all they needed was like a direction. Here, the reason you got unattractive now is because over the last 20 years, you've been getting out of shape. Maybe you had a thyroid problem or some kind of medical condition, which caused you to go back. At which point your girl, not knowing what's going on, just follows her instincts, which in this case is to get openly resentful and hostile towards an unattractive person in front of her, using her hypergamous instincts to either upgrade or just sit there and nag everybody to death these guys automatically get their shit together and start uh start doing well i use Corey as a good example i like to think of myself but i try not to judge myself too well i don't think i need to fluff myself here there's got enough there's enough people in the manosphere enough brands brands of men that like to tout about how awesome they are you don't need one more on this space <laughs> But the other guys, it's the ones that never had it. They're the ones I see struggling the most. And I'm wondering if there's something innate about it. It's not that they're struggling because they don't know how to work out or be attractive. Everybody can work out and get the benefits from it. Anybody can learn how to be charming and charismatic. It's this, that, and if you guys remember, this is way back. I talked about the most important thing for a man. And I think it's resolve. The the willingness to rather burn things down to the ground than to surrender some hyperbolic language, but whatever <laughs> conk only pillows want constant fluffing. Don't be a man pillow. <laughs> um, 
yeah so you see this and it's it's guys they just can't get it through their head like the entire time and this is where you get that meme if you guys don't know there's this meme going around through the red pill community anybody who's uh, married it's the the two-year two-year syndrome it's a two-year covert contract where every guy that starts will tell you like yeah i've been on mrp or the married red pill i've been red pilled for almost two years now it's always two years and what's a shit test what's a fitness test and my wife is openly disrespecting me is this a, is this the main event basically a complete misunderstanding about all the shorthand terms what the purpose of it is but it all all roads lead to rome and in this case rome is the guy who's been doing this as a covert contract well my wife doesn't respect me uh she doesn't have sex with me she doesn't do any of this stuff so if i hit to the gym lift a couple weights and I constantly give sarcastic comments every time she nags me, then she'll automatically turn around and say, oh, thank you for being such a great, wonderful man. Thank you for growing your beard. Thank you for putting on that bacon scented beard oil. Let me pat you on the head, put your finger pinning on my fridge, and then touch you in the way you've always wanted to be touched. Genuine desire. Problem is, girls hate covert contracts even more than guys do. They don't think of it that way. All they think of is an obligation. And it's funny because the guy doesn't even have to lay out the obligation. The girl will think it's there on her own. Um. <laughs> Dog potty time. He's spazzing. Oh, conky. Yeah. Um, I'll throw back. There was this old purple pill debate back when they. Back when they still couldn't stand me, but were willing to have me around and, you know, Everybody has their phase where they like to argue with feminists and soccer moms and crap like that. And that was mine. And the subject came up and this is where I'm getting to the point. He's kind of rambling now where girls hated the idea of guys thinking that they were owed or obligated to, or ex, uh, what was the word they used entitled to sex. And then a lot of guys got the girls talking about it and you hear the girls talking about it and they're telling the stories of, well, we went out to dinner. We did this. We did that. We did the other thing. And he thinks he's entitled to it. So heck with that. I'm out of here. You hear the guy's side of things and like, dude, wasn't entitled at all. We were going out, having dinner, seeing what happens. No expectations on the guy's part. These are normal, well enough adjusted guys. So it kind of clicked. The reason the women hate covert contracts isn't because you're putting it on her. It's that she's putting it on herself and projecting that onto you. So when these guys do these two-year male action plans where they throw a fresh coat of paint on their uh, schlubby beta selves, the girl sees that, and in her mind, she has that same reaction as to when a guy is taking a girl out to dinner with no expectations. He just likes spending time with her. She assumes that means he thinks he's entitled to this, that, or the other thing. And typical of women, they have this hardwired innate skepticism bias where they assume all of these signals of love, affection, and commitment are false. We won't get into the reasons for it. It's not really important for this. Chesty's got a good point. I'll put this up while I tell this story. Oops. So when these guys hit that two-year mark, here's the problem. Uh, the girl automatically thinks he thinks he's entitled to something, and she will fight against it and call the guy's bluff. Now, for the kind of guy who's just throwing a red coat of paint on his relationship, it is a bluff. The only way to do this and not think of it as a bluff is you kind of have to do what I had in an old video called Operation Scorched Earth. You uh, 
Yeah, like Jack says, recreate yourself. Law 25. And the way it implements here is your relationship is over. It's like the Spartans going to war. If you guys want some masculine metaphors, here you go. The Spartans are going to war. And we're already dead, so we're fighting to get back alive or something like that. So as a guy, you have to look at your relationship and go, you know what? She's done. She's out of my life. I'm keeping her around as a sparring partner. I figure with this girl who's got, you know, five, ten years of my baggage underneath her belt and thinks that everything I do is not good enough, has no respect for me. If I can weather this with proper uh, red-pilled mental models and tools, if I can internalize the biggest teenager in the room, if I can internalize the captain first officer model, if I can internalize the fact that hypergamy is monogamy, if I can internalize me being the prize, my time, attention, and commitment are sacrosanct, proper boundaries, how, when, and why to use agree and amplify, amuse mastery or fogging in whatever situations, why was I hiding the badness, what are my covert contracts? You get all this stuff and you start putting the pieces together over what should be a year, but in this case, it's two years. It all works because you don't think this is a relationship anymore. This is strictly a learning experience for you. And it's true. If you're at the point where you have somebody that doesn't respect you, doesn't want to sleep with you, what you have is a glorified roommate who gets a great severance package. But... You flip the script, and this is where guys that uh, used to have their act together and they knew what it was like to be attractive and get that genuine desire. This is where they kind of intuitively know, all right, this one's done. They go back to their Chad ways. If a girl's giving them crap, they say whatever, and they go to get a new one. Then what happens is you kind of flip the script on all this stuff. So all these behaviors and all these attitudes, all these mental shifts, all these uh, improvement activities you're doing, the working out, the eating better, all that stuff. It loses that because the girl will automatically test and call the bluff saying, oh, he's just faking it. But the problem is the guy's not faking it. And she sees that at first. The calling out the bluff thing, you kind of maybe laugh it off, use amuse master. But after a while, it's like, you know what? I don't need this. We're already done. He doesn't say that, but he acts like that. And so he's out. He's going to be a charming and attractive. And girls aren't stupid. They know what it looks like when somebody's branch swinging. And so then they realize, oh, he's not he's not bluffing. He's not faking. And this is where you really find out if the relationship was worth anything or it's salvageable or not. Brifold's law, the women decide if you're in a relationship or not. It's just the way it is. They say women are the gatekeepers of sex and men are the gatekeepers of commitment, but the girls are the gatekeepers of relationships. If she wants it to last, you could be the worst drug dealing pimp, cheating, all kinds of degenerate behavior. And if a girl is loyal to the relationship and loyal to you, that relationship will still continue on. But if a girl does not want that, you could be the most loyal, dedicated, efficient, sexiest plow horse ever, and you'll still get raked under the coals. So now when you're doing this flip, that you actually are the prize. Look, we were divorced a year ago when I first decided I wasn't, I was better than this and I deserved more out of life and I should earn it. The girl kind of understands, and this is all subtextual. You're not talking about this. It's not a narrative speech, by the way. And then she realized, well, um, I'm losing this man. This man's clearly high value, and she just either forgot or you forgot to have those qualities about you. And so she has to fight and claw her way to get back in because she wants to. Consent. 
Now, at this point, maybe the relationship's too far gone. Maybe she has too much baggage about you and she can't get past it. Maybe you've decided, yeah, that's great. We have that 10-year history and I love my kids, but you're arguably like, I can't look past how you've been for the last 10 years. I know it's another story. I bring it up often. This guy talking about how his wife uh, went down on him, <coughs> excuse me, during their divorce. And he was so, and it was funny because you'd think that's the whole reason that they divorced is because he was in a dead bedroom, completely romanceless relationship, no desire. And then finally, right as he's about to sign the papers, she starts getting lusty for him again because she can't have him anymore. And you'd think, oh, that's exactly what I wanted. So we can go back to normal. But he kind of looked at it disgusted going, I can't believe I had to go through all this just to get the smallest amount of affection from you. And he just turned it off right there. So sometimes these things just too far gone. The guy decides the juice isn't worth the squeeze, which I think is the only proper application of that mental model. The juice isn't worth the squeeze unless you've got juice in front of you. You can't just say the juice is not worth the squeeze and apply it to a blanket set of the population. <laughs> I just noticed Modern Life Dating John is back. Yo, what's going on? <laughs> He's already regretting Twitter. Wearing a vest too, yeah. What can I say, Canadian winters? We don't we don't mess around here. Um, and John Ice has a decent question in the chat. Can you fall in love and stay red pill aware? It's love love is an emotion. It's like it's like motivation. It comes, it goes, it stays, it's fleeting, it's chemical reactions in your brain. That's all it is. So I wouldn't really pay too much attention to that. Um desire I, I don't know what word to throw in there but essentially to make a relationship work and still feel affection for somebody that's wife goggles that's something different that's more of a conscious choice that you make over time it's the little lie you tell yourself that's useful in this case i'm sure and every everybody who has a soccer mom that's on facebook has probably seen this story once where the guy is talking about his 20 30 year marriage where the girls uh beating up her skin because she's had a bunch of kids she's looking older she's getting wrinkles her hair's gone gray but he still looks at her as the same beautiful woman that he got together with like he's not joking there and when you talk about love i kind of want a word that describes that more wife goggles is the best one we have so far we're very aspirational that way so assuming the girl is acting good towards you acting well acting right and over the long term, you generally have a good positive experience. You're always going to see her as that snapshot in time when you first got together. And that's, it's really, when I say the relationship is the girl's job, that's kind of like her most important part is to maintain that aspirational illusion, I guess. Best way to put it. And then over time, the guy's brain will work wonders on making sure that she's always the best thing for him. Now, that's the problem. When you get into too much nagging, you get into a betrayal, a cheating, all that kind of stuff. That's a term that they go, they call uh, slapping the wife goggles off the guy's face. And then he stops seeing that aspirational model and he sees the objective model that's right in front of him. So what used to be that cute 19-year-old girl that they fooled around with in the parking lot at Walmart or wherever they do it now, I don't know. Um, now he just sees a 35-year-old spinster who's just angry and bitter at the world and has shown her signs of age. And that's why... On the rare occasion that the guy actually initiates divorce, it's usually something like that that causes it to happen. It's like a complete crushing of our illusions. And that's why you guys will never hear me talk about red pill philosophy or red pill truth, because I don't think it's either. 
It's never been about truth. There is no objective truth in this. There's too many ways to perceive things that can make what's the same truth that we see different. While I see the most beautiful girl in the world, the other guy might see that, oh, that guy's with his, you know, 50-year-old wife. That's totally ugly. But to him, it's totally true. I don't mean to say that the world is subjective. I just mean that we eventually, for human interactions, we have a certain amount of subjectivity to it, which allows things to keep moving on. We tell ourselves the beautiful lies. So it's never about truth. It's about utility. What is useful? What helps with the maximum happiness for all? And in this case, wife goggles help with that. Uh, Brifault's law, the girl acting right, helps with that. Back to the point. And like some people are saying in the chat right now, like certain things, intelligence, 80% genetic. Basically, if you have two brilliant parents, so long as you don't give your kid malnutrition during the formative years, they're going to have a high intelligence. Same thing with uh, bodybuilding. I'm sure you've heard the saying. The best trick, the trick to become the best bodybuilder is to select better parents. So genetics play a huge part of this. The nurture part comes during the developmental stages. Now, I don't know enough about the science. I want to get a couple doctors on here at some point to talk about it where I'm just going to pick random numbers here just to kind of get the point across. So don't take these as like, oh, well, he said this, but technically by the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say five to nine years old is a certain developmental phase within a boy where he either learns to embrace alpha behaviors, rational egoism, self-interest, uh, generally attractive markers. Let's say there's a genetic predisposition that guys have towards that. And there's been arguments made that, you know, the best game is what two to four year olds have. And let's say during that five to nine year period in their life is where this stuff can manifest properly in an adult sense or not, if it's not. So let's take this, you add BPAs to bottles, you add, you know, birth control hormones to the groundwater, you add influenced by every authority in his life, which in this case is all female teachers, only his mom talking crap about his dad. And let's say that stunts a guy. It's entirely possible then that his development has been so stunted that he's never going to be able to grow out of it and gain those alpha behaviors. Now, I don't know if that's true, but the longer I'm in this space, the more I'm kind of leaning towards it. I know we always say that, you know, I think somebody said it earlier when, uh, oh, thank you, Hector. I know a lot of people say that uh, when the teacher, when the student is ready, the master will present himself, but that's the thing. So we never really follow anybody through a period of their red pilling. It's always snapshots and we kind of draw connections between the snapshots, whether they're true or not. I don't know, but I'm starting to wonder a lot of these guys that try it and it doesn't work. It's because maybe they were stunted in the epigenetics of it. Like they don't develop well enough at the formative years when they really needed this stuff to be able to implement them as an, as an adult. No idea if it's true. It's kind of what I was hoping we'd go over here. By the way, if you guys haven't followed him on Twitter, I think, Nick, you're the same guy, aren't you? Absolutely hilarious. He's an older fellow, so he's got the experience behind him, but uh, it's always good for laughs. Nick August, throw out your Twitter handle and I'll throw it up there if you want some follows. Unless you want to be like uh, wine more, please. When I had him on, it's like, yeah, don't follow me. So, <laughs> um, 
But here's the one thing I like, though, about the anger phase. So let's assume that is true. Let's say there's an epigenetic thing. You have a natural predisposition towards positive masculine behaviors. And if you don't have it manifest between the ages of five and nine, usually the age when your mom decided that dad wasn't good enough and she wanted to be a strong, independent, divorced, single mom. Let's say that happens. Let's say you're raised as beta bucks and you don't know how to do anything but be a plow horse. The beauty of the anger phase, and this is something I don't know why. Well, I know why, but I don't like how women have a hard time accepting that guys can be angry because I think it's really a genetic or yeah, I guess a genetic backdoor is the best way to put it. You've been that plow horse your whole life until... Somebody does something to you so outrageous, such an affront to your self-dignity that your brain actually starts to build neural connections and starts to develop these things that you never had before or that you were never developed in a normal time frame. So I think that's the one advantage that we have, even assuming that alpha behaviors are genetic and you either have them or you don't. Anger is the beautiful male emotion that allows us to re-engage. Now, I don't want to sound too touchy-feely here, but I know you hear a lot of guys talk about getting in touch with your former masculinity or your inner beast or whatever Elliot Hull stuff people are talking about now. I can, I don't think they know what they're talking about, but I think this is where that should be what they're talking about. Because I've seen a lot of guys who have been very happy being a plow horse, who once they hit that anger phase, an amazing transformation takes place. Um, I like Ultimate Cat in this one. I reference him a lot. I know uh, other than some of the older red pill vets here, they're probably not going to, you guys probably aren't going to know who I'm talking about, but I absolutely love this guy. I don't think he can stand me, but that's fine. I don't think he can stand anybody. But he was essentially that guy, the polo shirt, Best Buy employee looking, very good income. Wife took him as like the next best option in her life kind of stuff and something just snapped like he's pretty sure she cheated on him she went out did something with somebody then lied to him that she ever went so right there that was enough for him and he just snapped and his whole life turned over he turned into what's probably the most anger-filled self-interested guy i've ever seen and he used that anger to drop i think it was like 100 pounds of fat or some craziness got absolutely shredded and then decided to just take over the neighborhood dick straight <laughs> sleeping with anything and everything completely getting all that out of his system it was almost like that guy who just turned 13 got that initial rust of testosterone and then was six foot chad right out of the womb all of a sudden the world was his oyster and i wish there was a way to bottle that lightning up and give it to guys if i could i'd be charging 500 for an e-course with two daily webinars right now Um, yeah, the reason his stuff was deleted is because he deleted it. What he used to say was he had nobody else to brag about this stuff to. He was very proud of himself. He had done amazing things, made amazing leaps and bounds in his life and lived much better for it. And the funny thing is the dysfunction kind of made his wife more loyal. So don't tell me that uh, a woman won't, would rather not share an alpha than be saddled with a beta. I'm sure you guys know that saying too, because I watched it. He was giving field reports of it the whole time. But 
yeah, he's like, I can't talk to my friend circle about this. I can't talk to my wife. I can't talk to my work about this. I would basically get fired from my job. My social circle would alienate me. Wife would divorce me. So you guys are the only people I have to talk about this. And I remember that when you hear about people saying only unattractive people talk about women on the internet, not true. Some of the best chads I've ever met talk about it on the internet because this is the only place they can brag about it. And, you know, kudos to them. I like their brags because once you meet a real Chad online and seeing his brags, you start to learn how to spot a flex from a brag. The difference being flexes aren't true. Brags are true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how often he had them. I couldn't tell you. I just know reading them. A lot of this stuff, like the timelines are a bit hazy. So it's mostly that I have a bit of a photographic memory. I'm like, oh, that's right. Anybody who's watching me on uh, my Patreon post, if you haven't subscribed, by the way, five bucks a month, it costs nothing. You get early access to the videos when I can. Uh, we do our weekly Q&A podcast. We're actually physically doing red pilling step by step. We're also building up a small little private community. And once the functionality is all there, oh man, it's going to be awesome. But check that out on Patreon. I'll throw a link up here if you guys are curious. Check it out. Uh, join slash underscore Ryan underscore stone. Like I said, it doesn't charge until the first of the month. So, I mean, right now we're right smack dab in the middle of the month. Go check it out. Sit on a couple Q and A's. If you like it, stick around. If not, no big deal. But at the very least hop in, give the guys a thank you because those hundred and I think we're at 140 guys. Now those guys are the reason that all this can happen. I, there's no way in hell I'd be able to make the content without them. So the ones that are in the chat here, throw some K's in the chat. And I believe Grover is one of our newest guys too. But anyways, it's a good time for all. It's locker room stuff. We definitely take the filter off. I don't mind uh, the demonetization language now. So, but yeah, so don't tell me that this place is only for unattractive people to talk about women because there's a very good reason a lot of those guys do. And the beauty of it is they're showing you, I don't want to say the aspirational model. Nobody aims to be CAD, but they're just showing what the grass is like on the other side. In his case, it's greener. None of this, the grass is greener where you water it. No, you get your act together. You start showing self-interest. The grass is greener, just the way it is. <laughs> um, For Robert, yeah, I work on laptop. I probably will upgrade and get a PC at one point, but right now I kind of need the mobility more than I need the, more than I need the extra processing power. I'm sure you guys see it on my videos. It's an MSI G72, I think it is. Anyways, no point talking about nerd stuff here. We're talking about, is it even possible to become an alpha? By alpha, I mean the alpha behaviors. So I was thinking, CAD can do it, so others can do it. Um, I don't know how forthright he wants to be, but in the chat, you can already see Conk or uh, Corey. I can never remember what your stupid name is you put on this thing. Is it rule? Oh, yeah, rule zero dad. Chesty McChesterson or whatever. So rule zero dad, a great example of that too. He, something switched in his head and he turned on alpha behaviors to the max. Great father, great business guy. He basically, and here's the part that makes me laugh. And this is why I'm never going to stop crapping all over trad cons and their stupid fantasies. You want to see the best role models. If you want that traditional conservative life, find senior red pilled guys. 
Guys like Rolo, guys like Chesty, absolutely hilarious. When I watch a guy who's been married for nine years, dating for 10, talking about how he has all the answers and he knows exactly what's going on. I'm like, dude, I'll take this guy who's been in for 20 years and come from hell and back and now has like an optimal marriage or the 23 year one. Like they literally have the results these guys want and they don't like how they got there because it goes against their ego investments. Meh. Hey, Conk is also a Corey. See, I don't know, Conky, I don't know your Batman origin story, so I didn't want to vouch for it, but. Corey Voltron. <laughs> yeah, so, and I'm kind of just walking you guys through what I think. Feel free, tell me what you think in the chat, if this stuff is learned or if it's innate. Um, is it possible to kickstart the process again if a guy has been raised as a worker drone his whole life? More than happy to hear your thoughts and experiences on this, especially from the older guys in here, because let's face it, um, there's not much you can learn from a 26-year-old guy other than 23 is way too young to be using steroids and Evola is a shit writer. Other than that, not much else you can learn from it. hacker spin more plates here's the funny thing if you guys don't know that's it's a very good strategy for multiple reasons like a lot of guys have one itis for this girl or the other girl they have in trouble getting over being widowed um they're in a dead bedroom and the wife decided that yeah i'm just not gonna have sex with you again but i'll keep cashing those checks getting more plates getting more options building abundance is probably the most battle-hardened tried tested and true sexual strategy for guys that has the optimum effect no matter what your goals are having options having abundance will always improve your life and it's the one that most guys will fight with especially christians i mean you get a christian guy talking about the sacrosanct marriage meanwhile his wife cheated on him she never followed any of the commandments before she got married and she's basically acts like the great girl in church but refuses to but the guy refuses to have options. Jeez, Rob, you're almost 48. But you look... Oh, wrong one. That's Sam. Well, Sam's a good example, too. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. It's something... I'll get back to that in a sec. I was actually going to click on Rob's. He looks so youthful for this. But it's good. With that experience, like, there's lessons in there. Success stories that come after hardship from older people are invaluable. From middle people, younger people, too. Um, but something Sam put there, I want to kind of address. The one thing I never liked about Patreon is just that e-begging aspect to it. So I always make sure that if a guy's in there, he's getting his money's worth. So that's the way I like to focus on. It's not so much pay me, it's get in there, see what you like. If it's valuable enough for you, definitely go in on that. But all this, it's not about me. It's about you guys because... If I just wanted to take money to do a job, I would have stuck with corporate. I'd be earning way more money and I would be just as happy doing that. Here, the point is I need, I want to offer a value that improves the lives of men. And so if I'm doing that, expecting compensation is fine. But if you're, if I'm not doing that, well, then I don't really need to beg. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, example here. Nothing compares with spinning multiple plates, even for a little while. It totally changes your mindset. Yeah, there's something about it. Um, I wish I could explain the mindset change, but it really 
the best thing to the best quality that comes out of it is you stop over investing. And I think most problems with guys come with over investment. Thirst traps, great example. Girl posts a selfie, ass hanging out on Instagram. A bunch of guys give free validation. That's an overinvestment. Right there. Very easy example. It's one that everybody can relate to. At least I hope not in this chat, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, another example is the guy who's dating a girl and like within 30 days, 60 days is calling him his, her, his girlfriend. Overinvestment right there. Guys, you call it a long-term relationship after six months. Like, dude, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, learn this. Under a year, it's not a long-term relationship. It's a short-term relationship. Girls who are serial monogamous, and most thoughts are. I know there's always the example of the uh, of the slutty girl grabbing a new guy every week for 10 years, 500 notch counts, that kind of stuff. But most girls are serial monogamists. They aren't slutty like, you know, Stacy is. So they get a boyfriend and they have a boyfriend for three months and then they ditch him. They get a new boyfriend for three months and then a new one and then a new one. That adds up. If that's four new boyfriends a year for 10 years, that's like a 40, 50 notch count. The same mentality, but there's that illusion that she still is the good girl because she only ever has sex within stable relationships. And I've sailed with girls like this. They could have a boyfriend for two weeks, but that didn't count. She's not slutty like that other girl who, you know, gets a one night stand every two weeks. It's totally different. As if, as if a couple dinners out and a movie night make up for all the thoughtery. Nah, man. <laughs> Red Crusader, another awesome example. People that marry within the one year mark. Yeah. Um, first off, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record right now saying do not get married. There is no benefit to men, and you should really just stick with the long term relationship. At that point. It's on everybody else to give you a reason why it benefits you to give up all the things that you give up to get married to receive commensurate value back. You could say children, but you don't need a ring to have children. All you need is working, is working, working junk. Lots of people are having them out of wedlock now. It's no longer the feminists of one. It's no longer a bad thing. In fact, you can even do that. You can have children out of wedlock. You can go to church, ask for forgiveness. And they'll tell somebody to man up and marry you. <laughs> like, if the church doesn't care, why should I care? Again, overinvestment. But I think that need for a shepherd, sheep in search of a shepherd, I think that's an innate quality too on those same guys that weren't raised with those masculine sensibilities or they weren't manifested in the proper developmental time. Yeah. And that's kind of the point we're getting at with uh, spinning plates, building a abundance. A lot of guys worry about this and a lot of guys don't, but should. You'll see it all the time. There's the story of a guy who's going to be a doctor in five, six, seven years. And he's like, well, once I get that, I'm going to have the status and the girls are going to flock to me. Follow your fortune. I said it before. It's the one thing that I disagree with with Rich. Build your fortune. The women will come. Well, here's the problem. Yes, the women will come but you have no idea what you're dealing with. Like what's the difference between a gold digger and a girl that loves you for how you make her feel performance wise for at least a year, you won't be able to tell the difference because both can act enthused. You don't have the experience to draw on. You don't have the examples in your life to draw on, to be able to understand when you're being taken for a ride 
and when you're taking her for a ride. So the beauty of abundance is it lets you know the difference. Like if you haven't been with a girl and smashed with like just a mattress on the floor, or in my case, I think I had a cement slab on my floor for like a year. Didn't even have floor, <laughs> just cement. But if a girl can desire you when you have nothing else to offer but you, then you at least will notice things. When you see a girl that likes you because you're buying her drinks or some other kind of beta bucks provision scenario, you're going to see the behavior differences between that and then the girl that was willing to do it in the back of your car because there was no other place to go and she had to have you now or in the bathroom at the club. Once you start seeing this, and humans are very good at predicting patterns, you're going to notice patterns of a girl who's genuinely into you and a girl who wants something from you. And you're going to be able to tell the difference so that when you become that fancy doctor, that fancy lawyer, that guy who finally started that business that's taken off, you're going to tell when somebody's just taking you for a ride and you'll enjoy their company, but you know not to wipe them up. That's why another article I wrote, Seven Pieces, why vetting is ridiculous and you need to start just having boundaries. In this case, you put two people in that situation, one gold digger who has experience and one a gold digger and he has no experience. The guy who has experience has his boundaries. He knows if a girl starts withholding sex in order to uh, get something from you, he already knows right there that's not genuine desire, hard boundary, hard no for him. A guy can't vet for that though. I want to vet for a girl who wants nothing from me. Well, everybody's going to want something from me. What does that mean? That means if she stays the night that you don't make her breakfast the next morning? Does that mean that uh, if you guys are out and you want to buy her something just because you thought it would be kind of cool or whatever, like you don't have the context to know what any of this stuff means unless you've been through it. So if you're not building your abundance, and this is where the huge disservice happens and where I think it's largely a uh, epigenetic thing here. If you're the guy who doesn't have this experience, I almost guarantee it's because during your prime formative years, whichever years they are that form these behaviors, we're surrounded by too many women exposed to too many feminine mentality, possibly even drugged up on Ritalin or other SSRIs. But something happened to kind of stunt your growth in that department. And I honestly don't know a way to get a guy out of it other than to put him through some sort of trauma, which exposes his mind to the understanding that he needs to uh, develop some better mental models and then a roadmap to help him get them before that trauma wears off and he goes back to the way things were. <laughs> As Chesty puts it, well done. Sex for shoes equals a red flag. <laughs> um, JR is talking again in the chat too about ride or die. Uh, ride or die goggles. It's not really a thing. Girls don't have, like I always goof around and talk about ride or die bitches. It's not something the girl has. I guess I should maybe clarify this. When I say ride or die bitch, that's always what guys think. That's the girl that... Uh, the Bonnie and Clyde, the girl that's willing to sacrifice everything for you because she thinks you're just that great. Doesn't exist. Love is always conditional. And I don't care what anybody tells you. Even the big sky, the sky carpenter believes me on this one. The point is, when you're a girl's best option, she's fiercely loyal to you. So when I say ride or die, bitch, I mean, you've uh, capitalized on peak hypergamy. Great post by Whisper where he calls hypergamy monogamy. 
And he mentions why MGTOWs, those black pillars, all the guys that sit here complaining about how bad women are is that they don't get it. They think if only they could circumvent, uh, get in the way of, somehow stop or mute hypergamy within a woman, that everything would be great. But that's not how it works. Without hypergamy, you don't have pair bonding. You don't have monogamy. A girl is absolutely loyal to her best option until her best option changes. And then she's loyal to that guy. Just the way it works. A guy can go to a party. He could see 10 hot girls there. Like all of them sleep with the, but he can only sleep with one. So he'll pick whatever one, but the tomorrow, the next day, doesn't matter. Even if he's married at home, he will still go back and be loyal to his wife in every sphere outside of uh, him doing the cheerleaders. If a girl goes to the party and finds a guy more attractive than the guy she's got at home, like that relationship's done. She can only look up to one guy at a time. And if it's not you, it's somebody else. But if it is you, fiercely loyal. Like I said, ride or die, bitch. Like Elrion says here, hypergamy makes me a better man. It kind of does. And you're going to get into these arguments incessantly where people blah, blah, blah about what it takes to be a man. And women shouldn't define what it, define what it means to be a man and this kind of crap. And yeah, they're right to an extent, but here's the thing. Um, being attractive to women, it's just, it's a part of it. You've got the female side, females to some extent, judge what makes a man, man. Same as peacocks. Peacocks with brightly colored feathers are very attractive to women. They tend to be the examples we think of as peacocks. But female judged I think, what do they call that in cycle or evolutionary terms? Is it natural selection? Sexual selection. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much it right there. Correlling agency makes women resentful, not lustful. And, nope. Man, Hacker Boy's got a good point. It just is. You can, you can get mad that the sky is blue, but it's not going to change because you don't like it. You might as well just work with the system that's here. It's not changing. Uh, where was I just talking about there? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, well, we'll move on. <laughs> sexual selection. That was the one. Thank you. So sexual selection plays a part in it. Part of what makes you a man is when people find you so damn attractive that you're put in positions of authority, you're given the opportunity to rise and fall by your own merits. We'll use a we'll use a bit of an outlier example too, and I know people are going to hate this one. I'm going to talk about our first pickup artist uh, prime minister, Mr. Trudes. And if you haven't been following me on Twitter, you kind of see me on a bit of a John or a Don Cherry tear lately. It's a little bit of red meat, but whatever. I kind of need to build some more followers anyway, get into some different spheres, and we'll see if the hockey the hockey moms are a good uh, untapped resource. But um, People talk about racism being bad, bigotry being bad. Don Cherry says bad things is bad. If you guys don't know, during the Remembrance Day, he lamented the fact that a lot of immigrants weren't getting involved with some of the oldest Canadian traditions, our World War I respect for lost veterans. At the same time, that was reprehensible. But our prime minister, the one that women have decided was attractive enough to be prime minister, charming, all that stuff. And he is. He's like six foot three, very lean. 
high status. He's eventually he's essentially the John F. Kennedy Jr. in Canada. He can wear blackface and they could just shrug that off. So to some extent, your success or failure as a man involves how attractive you are, how many displays of higher value you have. That's pre-selection, that's status, that's you know, height, musculature, face, all that good stuff. So it is a part of it, but it's not the whole part of it. Because you still have to, you can't just be a codependent and doing exactly what we want. You have to do your own thing, which is generally what you think of when you think of men respecting men. But we'll put that, a pin in that for a minute. Sam Whiskey, thank you for the $2 super chat. He adds here, why are women attracted to military uniforms? And that is pre-selection, 100%. The thing about uniforms is you're kind of borrowing the status from the institution. When people think of a military person as an archetype, they think a very masculine, you know, killer instinct. All those archetypes of what can make an attractive man. And we can argue that's because of propaganda posters. We could argue that's because of experience or innate nature, whatever. Same thing as firefighters. All these very masculine jobs, big, strong people who will use their resources, which in this case is their time, their energy, their investments to protect other people or defend against things. Very attractive quality to women. So having a uniform is just one of those. It's the same reason that being the slick businessman wearing a business suit, like it's essentially why style works as an as a display of higher value. Because you're tapping into the innate archetypes that are or are not attractive. That's why dressing as a hobo never strikes people as attractive, but dressing as an outdoor frontiersman extreme sport guy and $200 mountain equipment co-op where is the style signifies a symbol and the symbols tend to be attractive. And in this case, military ones, super attractive ones to a certain type of girl. Obviously there's the pacifists that don't like it, but I've had sex with my fair share of granolas to know that even then they may outwardly not like it, but come the end of the day, it's all about the signals. And it's something that I kind of like to talk about every now and again. You may see it. I'll occasionally bring up a comment about see what he's signaling here, who he's signaling it to. A lot of the time, these are subtextual singles that display higher value, which end up getting women wet because they consider them to be masculine traits. And in their case, they mean mas masculine as in sexually attractive. As opposed to the way men would think of masculine, which they would think of as uh, beating them out in some sort of hierarchy. That's why lifting weights is good being muscular is good that's also why and this is something you'll see from uh cindy minston's work where she did a study to find out what guys think is attractive and what girls think is attractive when it comes to musculature and what they found is that what guys considered muscular was about 20 percent higher than what women thought was muscular so right there you see why Yes, women can be sexually selective, but the male influence on his own self-determination plays a factor in this as well. So I don't want to say 50-50, but there's a part of it that's women-selected, part of it that's man-selected. Again, Sam, thank you for the follow-up. Women are attracted to Elvis jumpsuits too. <laughs> well, they were when Elvis was in them. <laughs> You big nerd. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
one thing I did want to comment, though, some of the guys in here are talking about bravery, ready to fight and protect, and that's it. That's part of it. Like, there's that protecting instinct. I find the military is actually good in that it's got this right combination, at least in signaling, not in practice. And I'll tell you some stories of that in a minute. It's got the right balance as an archetype of uh, the lover and the provider. The military is the... Think of the war bride scenario. Germans come in, take over France. The girls find the Germans more attractive. Her best option, self-preservation. All that anxiety manifests as genuine desire. Bam. Now all of a sudden you have the French parliament discussing how to protect the French bloodline because now it's been so polluted with Germans. I think that was a real conversation they had in the 40s, by the way. There's that part of it. But then there's the protector part as well, where you're defending somebody against it. And both of these things essentially tap into that hypergamous need for, what's it, alpha fucks and beta bucks. I think Rolo puts it. So that's why I find those ones good. KP, by the way, has understood what I mean by this point. Women find lean attractive. Guys find muscular more attractive. That's why once you see those bodybuilders on Instagram, like the Mike Thurston types, you don't see a lot of girls swooning over them, but you see a ton of guys miring, bro. It's just one of those things. Now you can call that homoerotic if you want to, whatever. But it's something to keep in mind when you decide if you want to go on a cut or in a bulk, you're worried about losing too much weight. I think once you're at, depending on your height, that 180 to 220 pound range, once you're within that, obviously 220 is for like a guy who's 6'3", 180 is for the guy that's more like 5'6". You understand where the range is. Once you're within that range, being lean is far preferable to being more muscular. <laughs> I... <laughs> Drew in the chat, boys. How can you not love this guy? Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this audio podcast, uh, his comment, just look at the qualities that Super Supercuts Gandalf has and do the opposite. I would say so. Do not stir your coffee for the vortex effect for maximum flavor or whatever. By the way, I'm really kind of irritated that I got to go buy a stir stick now. I use chopsticks to stir because I always have them on hand. And it's the easiest way to stir my thing without clanking it around with a metal spoon that's going to break the, the glass that I use in my bottoms. But I don't like how Gandalf there is making it so it's no longer cool to do that. <laughs> um, for Michael here, he's talking about James Bond never being phased by any situation. I do want to I do want to suggest be careful about picking fictional examples. James Bond is generally a male power fantasy. Like there's no women. It's not designed for women. The things that are designed for women are Twilight, Fifty Shades of Grey. James Bond is designed for men. Same as Commando, same as Rambo. So keep that in mind when you aspire to be him, that that's more of a bravado, machismo, impressing a man sort of thing, as opposed to being in a more attractive thing. Thank you for the super chat. $2 from Wraith. Denatoir or Denatoir. Good topic today. I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, and we don't really talk about it enough. Is that are we largely spinning our wheels? I know we've had that conversation too a bunch of times within like the subreddits and the forums and all that stuff back in the day. It's that alpha behaviors and beta behaviors are largely 
innate and they don't change over time. And so what a lot of guys have taken is that approach. And I'm sure you've heard the saying where guys say, you know what, if what I do even helps one guy, it's worth it. The idea is there's a certain subset of guys in a gray area that would have had these abundance of alpha behaviors and extreme uh, success in the sexual marketplace, but through abhorrent nurturing practices when they were kids, being raised by women, put on drugs, Ritalin, all that stuff, because of all these factors that are outside of their control, it never manifested properly. Those guys have the potential to be it, but all they need is some kind of roadmap, a little bit of guidance, some mentorship. So I can kind of get behind that. There's some guys that are just meant to be failures and that's the way it is. But there's some guys that wouldn't have been had their lives started differently. And you see examples like that. I mean, Ed Lattimore, he talks enough about getting out of the hood and making something more of his life and he's just crushing it right now. Yeah. So it's clear that bad circumstances aren't because bad genetics. And I'd like to think that there's that small sliver of guys. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how small it is. I don't even know if this is true, but it's kind of what I've been going with. A small sliver of guys who get it, they just don't know how to get it. And I think that's the niche of this space. And that's the part that I try to focus on. While at the same time, the guys that are objectively losers from a red pill standpoint, I like to think of them as great cautionary examples, red meat when I dunk on them on Twitter, or maybe it's in the case that they're trying, but they're just going to fail. Maybe they subsidize the rest of us. Even if it's just something simple that they watch one of my videos to give me my two cents of ad revenue, just to just to crap all over it in the comments. Arguably, they're still useful to the manosphere because they're making it so more people can make content to help that subset of guys that could make it, which is teamwork. So good for them. Kudos to the uh, kudos to the hardcore beta male. <laughs> all right. Welcome Hitchens to the chat. I have a feeling the girl's cooking and they're smoking the house. Otherwise he wouldn't be jumping on my lap looking for comfort right now. <laughs> Been ignoring the chat. Uh, and he has a good point too. Drew saying you don't need to train more than two to three days a week. I will agree with that. Uh, what was the last study I saw? There was a study I was seeing about, was it, I can't remember if it was strength or hyper, hyper, hyper size. <laughs> stumbling over my words here like a pleb and they were finding that guys were like you can take two weeks off without any noticeable loss of size or strength so it makes sense that you wouldn't need to work out six full days a week hour a day in order to get those gains sure if you have the uh genetic predisposition to that higher than average levels of testosterone or you're supplementing it makes sense but the body can only repair muscles at so fast a rate your body can only synthesize uh, protein at so fast a rate. Your central nervous system can only handle so much of a load over time. And once you start working out past the ability of one of those things to recover, then you're actually making yourself weaker, making yourself smaller, uh, damaging your central nervous system. So you're not more efficient in the gym. You're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels. And this is back to the nature versus nurture theme that's undercutting this whole argument. So for a guy, you got to figure out, like, what are your limitations physically? The same way that it is mentally. Like, you have certain predispositions towards alpha behaviors, short of trauma, allowing you to rewire them. You're only going to be able to be so much of an alpha in your life. So maybe that's good enough. Maybe that's not. 
Same thing with working out. Maybe you're one of those guys that's just genetically awesome and you can work out six days a week and your testosterone flowing through your body makes you recover amazingly well. You're a gifted genetic natural. You're probably not listening to me about it. You're one of those guys on uh, Muscle and Fitness Magazine giving the stupidest workout programs that work great for you because you've got the genetics of one of those Belgian cows. But for the average person, you're going to have to tame it back. And this is where one thing I kind of agree with Drew. Don't do too much. Don't do too often. What you want to do is just enough to get maximum gains. Yeah, and uh, this one guy in here, Articularium 2 or whatever, says AJ says he doesn't believe in rest day, just train different potty parts while certain ones heal. How much training? That's just it. If you want to do a six-day split, that's fine. If you're only working each muscle part once a week or twice a week or however many times you should be working it a week, but you've managed to split up your workouts, that's fine. But do you honestly think, and let's just state, I'm here from a strictly efficiency standpoint. I can't spend all day every day at the gym. I have things to do. If I'm doing biceps and triceps on day one of my split just so I can work out every day, is that really impeding my ability to do a different exercise? If I want to throw legs in with that one as well, if I'm doing uh, squats and deadlifts, does that affect, like, am I losing enough energy that I can't perform those with the same intensity on the day that I'm working on my biceps and triceps? Probably not. I find for a lot of these five day splits, it's not so much that you have to, you only have so much energy in a day to work out. So you have to split up your body parts. I find it's for guys that like the routine. If you've set up your routine that you work out six days a week, you structure your workouts. So you have that routine, that consistency, that six days a week. So if that works for you, great, but it's not needed. It's not necessary. And like Drew says, it's very inefficient. But like I said, I would rather that than a guy who doesn't work out. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to crap all over it. And if that's the kind of workouts that you do and they're working for you, fill your boots. If you want to be one of those guys that min maxes your workouts, two to three days a week is probably perfectly fine. I like how we, I like how we always get back to even lifting. Uh, somebody asked early on too about my weight. I've actually been, I've given out my measurements and weight on my newsletter. This month I'm going through like a mini little fitness regimen, kind of like a mini cut because I know December is going to be a pretty brutal for diets. So I'm uh, taking this month to kind of set myself up for success for the next month. Calories per day, uh, body weights, measurements. This is the two week mark coming up. So put a link to it in the chat if you guys want to join in there, you can see. I'll be retaking the measurements to see what gains I've been making. I try not to do body fat caliper stuff myself. I don't really care about the percentages so much. I like using the measurements because no matter what you do, you're going to take the measurements properly. They also help you when you need to start fitting yourself for suits or other types of clothing. So it's dual purpose. Plus it's way better than the scale. Although I have a scale on it too. So you take these things, you can make some conclusions. So let's say I'm working out. 36 inch waist, 42 inch chest scale at 200 pounds. Now let's say it goes up 10 pounds. Your chest size doesn't increase, but your waist size increases. You know, right there, you're gaining fat. Let's say you drop 20 pounds. 
your chest size doesn't change. Your midsize increases too. You know, you're losing muscle most likely in your legs, something like that. So these things, I find it's really nice to kind of give you a good enough indicator of where you're going. But I still do, I weigh the food. And then once I get a close enough measurement, like for example, I know a drumstick or a chicken thigh with the skin on is approximately 200 calories. Sometimes it's 220, sometimes it's 180, but it averages out. So I'm perfectly happy to make that the thing there. And then you find your caloric intake and other genetic things. Some guys can eat like a horse and not gain anything. Some guys, as soon as they look at food, gain five pounds. It's just the way things are. Hey, speaking of which, we got Reyes in the chat. Reyes Reborn. If you guys don't know, I've known this guy for years now. He was um, a guest at 2017 Central Orlando Convention that shall not be named. And I remember seeing him again in 2018. And it was crazy because I was watching a guy. I hope you don't mind me going out here on my impressions on this one. The first one's not, not the most flattering. Not very charismatic. Not very good style. Definitely out of shape. One year later, it was like a whole different person. He became charming, pleasant to talk to. His style just went through the roof. I think he dropped like 50 pounds or some crazy amount like that. It was neat to watch a guy improve in real time and always got nothing but patience for that guy. So oh and you guys are talking about cardio on that now. <laughs> yeah, see the thing too, there's no wrong answers. You work out almost every day. You do cardio on days that would be rest days. And that depends on what your goals are. Is your goal to get better at cardio? Then yeah, be doing more cardio. Cardio for me, I like 5K runs. That's like a 27 minute jog. So it's not enough to start building the cortisol like you would be if you were training for a marathon. I like swimming, keeping it under a kilometer. I find that 20 minute mark is a nice way to just be inefficient enough that you're not tapping into the downsides of cardio from a masculinity perspective, like for building muscle, not having cortisol, that sort of thing. <laughs> so we beat testicular. <laughs> Exactly, Quentin. So here's the funny thing. When I talk about testicular cancer, I love talking in these metaphors. I talk about Batman origin stories and testicular cancer meetings. Because I remember, and this is my part I really loved about uh, Palinchuk's work, right, or Fight Club. When he talked about testicular cancer meetings, it was about a bunch of guys who literally lost their balls reassuring themselves they were men. That was the whole point of those meetings. And then the narrator walked in on that and he used it as like a cathartic experience to realize, oh, that's good. Have a good cry that I still have my balls and these guys don't and I can get to sleep. And it was my experience when I first showed up to the convention that shall not be named is that the whole first night was just guys wallowing in self-pity. And then, yeah, but we're part of a clubhouse now, clubhouse masculinity. So we're men, we're really men. And so I started calling it testicular cancer meetings. Typical me, get invited to a space and then be very flippant about some of the social norms on it, right? But you know what? The guys, I don't know how much of it was my influence and how much of it was the other guy's influence. I'll just assume it's all me because somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure. But then guys started getting their act together. And then the cargo shorts and t-shirts that were from the first year turned into nicely dressed men with nice sets of shoes and good style and in shape from the second year. So I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Good for them. It's since moved on to guys dressing like homeless people, bringing laundry baskets on stage, but whatever it is, what it is. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, that was the Fight Club wrestling. Same as Batman origin stories, where every time I would talk to a new guy that was red-pilled, would always start with the story of his trauma. And I thought about that. I'm like, that's like how every Batman movie has to show Bruce Wayne's parents getting shot for you to understand that he's Batman. It's like, dude, I get your Batman. You don't need the stories. And so there's another flippancy where I talked about Batman origin stories. Uh, in the married red pill, they call them victim pukes. And they say, everybody can have one. You get one, but after that, you got to stop wallowing in self-pity and get your stuff together. There we go. But yeah, it's not that anything's funny about testicular cancer. It's just the reference. Testicular cancer is a horrible thing. I don't know how prevalent it is, so I couldn't even say if it's... And that's like a side note. I hate where people conflate these 1% of 1% of issues as if it's the biggest deal right now. And yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> do not invite Ryan anywhere. He will grace the event and then poke holes in it with a shotgun. You know what? It's something I've said since the start. I may be an ass, but I'll never lie to you. More often than not, when I come up with these very flippant ways to kind of poke fun or uh, a satirical take on something, it's because I kind of want everybody to be better. I think a lot of guys have it in them to be better. I think it's very easy not to be better. And I think people that don't want to be better want nothing more than for other people not to be better. Otherwise, it reflects their failure to act. And it makes people angry. Are you guys talking about diet and stuff like that? All right. So we've got an hour and 20 minutes right now. I was thinking of cutting this one down to an hour and a half. Then it gives me an hour break. It's going to be a little shorter. I know normally we go for two hours, but heck with it. For once, I want to have breakfast not on stream and give me some time to prep beforehand. So we're going to go for about another 10, 15 minutes here, and then we're going to call it. At this point, the floor is your guys. Any topics you want to cover, any questions you may have. Uh, super chats get priority always. Beyond that, I may or may not take your question, depending outside of the super chat ones. So we'll see. What are the topics here? Mostly even about lifting and diet, which I think is awesome. <laughs> oh, look at you guys. That's adorable. Yeah, don't get too uh don't get too miffed about the language here. If you guys can't take can't take a little humor at testicular cancer, then you can't take humor at anything. My dad died of lung cancer, so it's not like I don't feel for cancer. Nobody's pro-cancer. Nobody thinks cancer's hilarious. <laughs> I am so selfish. <laughs> Um, Oliver, the answer, where's Carl Black Label Logic? Yes. So he had uh, an elective surgery, I believe, as well as work, a bunch of contracts in there. Plus, he was getting kind of tired of the Spurg. So the confluence of all these different things caused him to take a hiatus. He's doing well. He's doing fine. I don't know if and when he's coming back. But if so, I'll probably be the second one to know. He'll let you guys know in a tweet. And then he'll Daniel text me and we'll take it from there. <laughs> Uh, from Rainy Report, the Rule Zero topic. The Rule Zero topic for this week is... Where did we put it? Pull it up now. And I think Rolo picked this one. What is Alpha? That's the one. 
I like this. I kind of like this topic because it seems that no matter how often we talk about it, people just refuse to get it where they still think of alpha as an archetype, which lets you right know, lets you know right there you're dealing with a closet narcissist or somebody who assumes everybody else is, which usually means he is and he's projecting it as opposed to a set of behaviors. So we're going to have two hours talking about that, probably dunking on some personalities that caused this chat to happen in the first place. And it'll be the resurgence of John from Modern Life Dating. Now he's back on Twitter doing his thing. He already regrets his decisions. <laughs> I've never seen a protest for more cancer. I think you guys are really giving the testicular cancer segment here more credence than it's worth. Like it's just meant to be a flippant comment to point out a scenario in which guys are acting unattractive on purpose to make it humorous in a way that encourages guys not to do it. It's not so much a referendum on cancer. <laughs> uh, another one here from AK Johnny are sexual behaviors innate or then can they be learned I think it's always learned I think the mindset behind them is innate or the uh, willingness to do them without fear is innate but they're always learned. I mean, you obviously know how to have sex. The first time you had sex, you just kind of knew how it worked. You didn't need to be told. So there's a certain, there's a certain firmware to it. And that's fine. But as far as behaviors, like if a girl, girls don't like doing things unless somebody she used to date liked them. It's just the way it works. Some girls absolutely enamored with oral, but no girl just came out of the womb liking oral. It was always, one of her boyfriends in the past that she was really hot for loved it. And so she learns to love it. Same with anal, same with S uh, BDSM. Any sexual behavior you can think of did not come out of nowhere. It came because a guy liked it. So a girl liked him. So she did it for him. And then she learned to associate that certain sexual act with validation. It's just the way things are. Same as guys. Some guys like getting beat up. And I think... Classic wow. Oh, yeah, there's classic wow. Let me think here. Do, 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 do. Pro cancer only when an evil person gets it. Yeah, I don't like that either. I don't like I don't like the idea of things being okay as long as it's towards a bad person. Because this PC culture we have right now, that's exactly what's happening. Everybody wants bad things to happen to bad people. And so this cancer culture developed in that. The rules only apply to somebody if I don't like them, which to a female audience, that's more and more becoming an unattractive person. So I don't like the idea of wishing harm among people. Another one here from Michael. Uh, after maximizing your sexual market value, first off, there's no maximizing it. Whatever, whoever started that looks max meme is an idiot and needs to be shot in the head because he's, well, preface that, that is not a request for violence. YouTube censors, that was merely a, a phrase, a saying, a turn of phrase. Everybody should be safe and kind to each other, okay? Um, whoever came up with that phrase is not an ideal human being. <laughs> but yeah, all you do is you're building your sexual market value amongst a demographic of girls that you like. Obviously, you're going to like slim girls. You're going to like hot girls. Maybe you're into uh, the rock scene. You go to a lot of concerts. You like those kind of girls. So you act in ways that are more attractive towards those women and build yourself in ways that are more attractive to them. 
build your style in ways that are more attractive to them. As far as what type of uh, pickup you do, I don't think it matters. I really don't. I think you just need one. And then once you adopt it and internalize it, it carries over. It's nice to study more. Like it's nice to know London Day Game, M3, or uh, Daybang, all this stuff, because they're all just techniques. But what a lot of guys find once they flirted and picked up women for an extended period of time is they get bored with the same routine and they want to try it up. And so they'll change things. A lot of times guys will even try and sabotage it. Well, I'm going to try an M3 routine on this, but I'm going to totally screw up the opener on purpose. My opinion opener is going to suck. I want to see if I can get past it. I want to see if I can get shot down by doing this. And what a lot of guys are finding is once they become attractive, all those hard and fast rules that they used to do don't work anymore. It's like, oh, that's weird. I can say something completely rude to this person and they're still attracted to me. That's weird. It should be the kind of thing that's a display of lower value. Oh, I did Kino before this and it didn't work or I didn't even need old man conversation. My pickup line was just, hey. And then they realized that these things were training wheels, attractive man training wheels. So I say, pick a system, get good at the system so you can forget all about the system. It's a fake it till you make it scenario. And in that regard, doesn't really matter which one you pick, although some are better than others. I like ones that are actually field tested because you at least know that you know what good rules are before you know which rules to break. Like you can't go wrong by going through the process in Daybang through Troy's London Day Game model stuff or through the mystery method. You can't go wrong with any of them. They've been tested a hundred times with guys that are marginally attractive to guys that are super attractive. So they work. If you get some order of men, pinnacle of man, uh, legends of men. You notice the theme for all these LARPers? If you go through their little system of take the girl to the dance and buy her flowers and that stuff, it's something they made up. And so it doesn't work because it's never been tested. So I would say, yeah, pick a system, pick one that's got experience behind it, then use it and then shed it. And then it'll be at the point where you actually can take the girl to the dance. You can buy her flowers and this stuff will all work, but you'd be stupid to do it anyway but you're attractive enough that you could get away with it and it wouldn't hurt your chances. Just don't do it. Hmm, that's an interesting opinion, actually. I forgot about mode one. Mode one is dangerous for unattractive men. Some guys can get away with it. I am actually curious. I know um, T.W. Beckett. He's a divorce guy. He's talking about his red pill journey on Twitter. He's a huge fan of mode one. And you see what he looks like. So if you're less attractive than that, I would say be careful. But yeah, Rainier, if you could give me a reason why you have that opinion, like did you try it as well? Or is it just an assumption that it's not going to work? Because I'd really, I'd really be curious to see where you came up with that. <laughs> yeah, RP strategies do work if you're gay. Men are women. Women are women. Yeah, and Reyes has a good point here. Because he's purple doesn't mean his method isn't applicable. The mystery method is red-pilled in a sense because it's something that works. When we say purple pill, we're not talking about what somebody's doing. We're talking about their, their mentality, their mindset, and their perspective. So if you worship at the altar of women, we essentially call you purple-pilled because it means you understand, you know, red-pilled principles, the kind of things we talk about, but you reject them wholeheartedly. So it's like one of those, you should know better. Not so much that you can't do it, but you should know better. So in this sense, 
Mystery can be purple, but his methods could be red. Now, big question here, Quentin Jones, and we're going to end off on this one. Thank you for the $10 super chat. Ryan, any pointers to help guys turn off their brains, relax, flow, and simply be in the moment, AKA not spurging out over minor details. It happens a lot with highly cerebral men. Yes, and I feel your pain. One reason I say picking up a system, and this has been my solution to it, because I like to overthink as much as the next guy, but what you're doing is you're changing what you're overly focused on. And so you're kind of ignoring your mind wandering. So when I'm thinking about A1, A2, A3, S1, S2, S3, or the, the three phases of the mystery method and three sub phases, I was just focused on that. And so when I was doing that, it's almost like a mindful meditation system where you're focused on some mundane tasks. You let your mind just kind of live and be in the moment. And that's what had happened. So I'm sitting there talking to girls and then all the, uh, the worry work future stuff is thinking about, okay, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? You're kind of making your, your neuroticism work for you. And I think that's good in the early parts later on. And this is one, I don't know how to instruct a guy on how to do this. What worked best for me was working my ass off. When I was on a pretty heavy sailing schedule, if I only had two days with somebody and then I had to go off on a sail tomorrow, the beauty of going on a sail, it was almost like putting your real life on hold and then picking up your, your work life. Like they were very separate. Married guys noticed that too. They would be the downtrodden married dude, you know, happy wife, happy life. But then as soon as they step across the brow, salute the flag or the ensign, it's like they were a completely different person. They were the guy in Mexico who had the pants dropped by a stripper and dancing on stage with his wang hanging out. They're the guys who were hung over throwing up all morning during a duty watch. It's like they were different people. And so by compartmentalizing their private and personal or personal and professional lives, at least for me, I found then I had a weekend. And then after that, we're off sailing to San Diego. So nothing actually happened to me after Sunday. Monday morning didn't exist. And so I got to myself to live in the moment. And I wish I had a strategy to put that lightning into a bottle other than pick times when you don't have to worry too much about the future. Yeah. I mean, I know testosterone helps with this one too. That's why I'd say a nice, hard, extremely tiring workout just before going out helps too. Uh, it's one of those things that helps anybody who's ever experienced an anxiety attack will probably know this. If you do a really, really heavy strength-based powerlifting style workout during a panic attack, you can actually tire your body to the point that you mute it. And I found that also worked. So if just before I went out to the bar, I had a super heavy workout, it kind of hurt to move my legs. I was so focused on that and living in the moment and dealing with the pain of the workout that I never thought too much into the future. So as far as answers go, I don't know if those are the best answers, but those are the three that I've found that worked for me. <laughs> yeah, and then the thinking too much. And that's the... And I guess I'll end on this one. We're at the half hour mark. Um, the one thing that worked really well for me is trying to get a reaction out of people. Just entertaining myself. I get bored. And so instead of worrying and thinking too much, a lot of times I would just say something very flippant or out of the blue, same as I, you know, come to a convention, call it testicular cancer meetings, whatever, just to see the look on the other person's face, just to be entertaining to myself at that moment. And 
that need to stave off boredom really helped me as well because it allowed me to live in the moment. So I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about what consequences it's going to have if I say this or if I say that. I'm just thinking, I'm bored. I'm going to say something a little outlandish, have a big smile on my face so they know I'm joking and just see what reaction the other person has. Now, sometimes they were good. Sometimes they were bad. Sometimes that was the end of the conversation. And you know what? I found through experience that the kind of people who can't enjoy a crude sense of humor are the worst company ever. And if you're going to get a Me Too accusation, it's probably going to be from one of those. Just ask Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. So I, I'm going to end on this. Yeah, it's not about the cancer. It's about the book and the mental model that it talks about. Don't focus on the words, focus on the content. <laughs> and I'm going to second this one. Reyes, proud of you. I'd say the same thing. Not that you need that kind of validation, but you know what? It's there regardless. On that note, we'll see you guys in about an hour. We'll do rule zero. Rolo and them are all going to be on, on cast. I'm going to have some breakfast, so I won't be eating on it for once. And we're going to talk about what is alpha. But on that note, Thank you very much for everybody. Cheers to all the guys that left the great super chats. <laughs> Cheers to Conk, Sam, uh, JR, Reyes, Corey, Rainier. What do we got here? Hacker Boy, everybody else, and all you guys in the private Patreon community. And I'll catch you guys in about an hour. Cheers. <laughs>